Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 4, titled The Mother of Exiles. Aaron, are you familiar with this quote? Um, No, but as soon as I looked into it, um, you know, it's a very famous quote by Emma Lazarus, and it's inscribed uh, at the base of the Statue of Liberty, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you want me to recite it? The entire poem? Yeah, if you like, it's uh, well the date lines that are um, uh, important to it says uh, here at a sea washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is imprisoned lightning and her name is the mother of exiles from her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome and then the famous part that everybody knows give me your poor your tired your poor your huddled masses yearning to breathe fee- free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore send these the homeless tempest tossed to me i lift my lamp beside the golden door um is is dolores the mother of exiles who's she holding the lamp for yeah i mean it really seems that way in this episode um that you know she would be the one sort of kicking open the doors of freedom and opportunity and hope for her race uh but I, every time I see this sort of on the nose uh, reference, I sort of think eh, they're trying to make me think they're zigging when they're actually zagging. Agreed. And that someone else is going to be the mother of uh, which. Which here. my follow up is: Could you hammer this into a Mave shape that she is the okay. one who guided, literally guided the uh, robots to a new promised land? Last episode, mm-hmm. held the door open with her outstretched arm. And now she's trying to herself get back to the place that uh, she helped so many others. Uh, I still have a lot of questions about that robot paradise. Um, you know, how is it? How can it? How can it run forever without human interference or assistance? Like, how yeah. permanent can it possibly be? It's yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, we'll we'll get to that stuff first. I want to know though, what do you think of this episode on second watch? So I this show's always beautiful and fairly immaculate from a cinematography and acting standpoint. Um, they I I and I I the the more I watched it because I watched this three times. I put it on background when I was doing my research and I was I was paying particular attention to the stunts. I think the stunts are okay in this episode, mm-hmm. but I think that like uh, we're just never going to get really sad. Like you're not going to get John Wick out of this show. No. Uh, no. You're not going to get even like uh, 007 versus 006 Goldeneye out of the show. You're mm-hmm. going to get basic television CBS scripted fights out of this show. Um, and that's fine if the writing is good. And in between my second and, and, and third watches, uh, I came across, uh, I, I read a, you know the, the weekly article that our buddy Kim Renfro over on Insider writes. And she pointed out this... Uh, um, reference to this um, psychologist slash AI researcher, oh. uh, uh, yeah. Carl Friston. And I read the an Associated Wired article and it kind of blew my mind and opened up to what they might be trying to say in this show, which I think, you know, that's one of the things that I've struggled to interface with. And I think you too, like, you know, what the, where the hell are they going with this? What are they trying to say? Well, if they're trying to yeah. say this, like this thing instantly becomes a lot more fascinating. And we're going to talk about that when we get to the reference. But yeah, I'm like really high on this season so far. I think it's it's never it's always been easy to look at and fascinating to watch, um, and extremely well acted. And now that I think I might have some kind of framework in which to watch the show and realize, oh, this is what they're trying to get at. I'm really excited for the possibilities. 
What about you? Yeah, I'm with you. I think on second watch, this was better uh, than I gave it credit for. And I actually didn't read that article until after I had watched it the second time. Um, and so I did like a light third watch, but um, it was really more about like uh, just things started to come together a little more. And I wasn't as concerned. Like once they get this fucking Dolores is Dolores is Dolores thing out of the way, it's it's so much easier to just fall into this. And I wish they had done that earlier. I wish this had not been like the big mystery of this half season uh, and they had kept spooling that out. But you see, know, I think once that... you get beyond that, I think things start to be, uh, start to become even better. Um, you can look at the things it's trying to say without the cloud of who is what, where is this happening? When is this happening? All that stuff. I think that um, I would have been, I would have felt like that if they had stretched it out further, but I feel like that they are doing much like Watchmen did before them setting up these big central mysteries that are not the real mystery. It's to distract you from the thing that they're trying to say or keep you busy you know, figuring that out while they're doing other things kind of in the background. Now, unfortunately, I think... The trouble is it distracts from everything, in my eh, opinion. I don't, I don't agree. But, I mean, why, why do you... Why, I mean, we can discuss it if you want. Why, why do you think it distracts? It's just... I mean, it's the predominant conversation happening on the internet uh, up until this point was who is, you know hale who is uh martin like that was what everybody was spending their energy on and myself included mm. and you just you get wrapped up in that and you start to lose sight of the bigger things the more important and the more interesting things they're doing i guess that's why that's one of the reasons i didn't read any literally any theory about you know who was in what body last week because i'm just like this isn't interesting and it has not just that you almost you almost need to know because like how am i to figure out what they're trying to say if i don't even know who the characters are I mean, like, like I, I guess you, you continue watching the show. Uh, so I mean, yeah, if you, if right, you get bogged, who, how am I, how am I to get into the first four episodes if I don't know who's who? I think if you don't, if you don't do this podcast, I don't think you're even, you know, you might be trying to figure out who's in what body, but is it, I don't know, is it the dominant question within? It's like you, you really can't process the rest of the scenes happening because all you can think about is who's it's not, Dolores. It's not that I'm so distracted by it; it's that I have no frame of reference. Mm. How how am I to figure out what they're trying to say if I don't know who the characters are? Okay. Is my point. But um, so that that really bummed me out after getting past that in this episode mm -hmm. and finally having that reveal on the table. Uh, I think it's much better. Well, like I said, I want to go back to like I do think that, and maybe it's appropriate at this point because rounding into the second half of the episode, it seems like the real mystery that we um, kind of uncovered in between week two and three, um, but it's going to be the one that's evolving probably for the next two episodes until they have the big reveal that leads into the conclusion, is that we have a blend of the real world and the synthetic world, the simulated world, and we're seeing these scenes blended seamlessly. Um, and there's a lot of hints in this episode that we're going to discuss that as we see them. Um, I think that's the next one to figure out is like, who is in what simulated reality and what was, why was it being simulated and what were people hoping to learn and what did they learn from the simulations? Um, and, and what I think, are they trying to say with that? And I hope that comes, that, that says something profound about the nature of simulated versus real life right. and like the futility of trying to control things or, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Much like season one did, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, why don't we get into the recap of the episode? Let's do it. We start off with William back in his house. Uh, he's ranting and raving about Emily uh, that he's seeing, but uh, he thinks she's not real. 
She asks him how he would know if, if he was real and encourages him to finish the game by digging into his arm. And then Charlotte shows up to explain that Serac is taking over Delos to get the human data and she needs his vote to allow a private investigator, investigator, investor to buy the company instead. And that, those private investigators, they make a lot of money, but not that much. His name, Monsieur Gadget. <laughs> And yes. wait until you see what pops out of his head when um, his limbic system. Go, go, Gadget Wallet. <laughs> there is a lot of really cool thematic things that they're doing here. Some that are like really obvious. Like um, I really loved when Emily showed up and they blend, I think, her like hysterical dialogue um, trying to talk her dad out of killing her from last season with her kind of like just matter of fact affect. And made it really kind of like spooky and jarring and kind of gave you that like unstuck in time. Or I wonder if they're suggesting, I don't know. I don't know if it's, it might be too early in the podcast to discuss whether if William is a host or he's stuck in our simulation already. Um, but mm -hmm. there's definitely that stuff that they're trying to um, um, bring out there. I also like, I feel like William might be a audience proxy at this point and that he's asking, you know, like he's calling... Like when she's like, well, what if every choice you've ever made is no choice at all? What if it's all code? And he's like, nah, that's just Ford and his misanthropic bullshit, which is kind mm. of my reaction when they just hit that so hard. Like, fuck you. You can't change as a person. Like, I've changed a lot as a person and all that. Um, but then the thing I really thought was cool, and I noticed this from uh, a Reddit post entitled Pentagram of Pearls which is the chandelier that he looks up as the blood's dropping off of him. It's, it's there's, there's five kind of dark-colored spheres, and in the central one is a sixth one that's like the blood is dripping down, and visually it looks very similar to Bernard's pearl. Um, so it's like these five pearls, which are the, the Dolores clones with, uh, with uh, Bernard in the middle, and then it all comes crashing down on onto William. It's just I thought it was just really cool visual almost uh, subliminal storytelling that they're doing here. And it's the kind of shit that yeah. like there's going to be a 100 image post on Reddit with all the things that told us the things that were you know revealed in episode 8. It's go that's going to be in the top yeah. 10 for sure. Uh you Um you know and th this idea of free will um that we've talked about before is brought up here uh pretty obviously when you know emily's like oh well which is it do you have free will and you're evil or are you blameless and helplessly enslaved um which is always a question that you know anybody who thinks about consciousness and free will uh is sort of confronted with yeah it's like we... and it, it, it's kind of remarkable that a guy like this this might be the first time he's confronted this idea mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. or I, I guess maybe this is the most severe confrontation he's had with it mm. Yeah, it's like we said in the instant podcast, if like life is deterministic and there is no free will, then like prisons are objectively immoral, you know? Right. Um, but then again, they have to exist because none of us have free will to make any choice. So <laughs> realizing that is not going to be a light bulb moment to freeze the world, you know, or sets all the prison. It's, it's, uh, which I don't know. I, uh, I, 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 at some point, what do you believe as far as free will versus I mean, I think we're pretty deterministic. Um, I, I, I could see us. I don't know. So I'm not a quantum theorist mm -hmm. either, um, and I'll admit to being damn near completely ignorant about anything on the quantum level. Yeah. Uh, so I, I could just be 
you know, more uh, traditionalist in this regard. But yeah, I think we're pretty deterministic. I think I, I've got a blended approach where it's like, I think that in the moment, like what we do now is governed by whatever state our mental machine is in, you know, the chemical balance, yeah. our past experiences, how reactive versus thoughtful we are. But that state can be changed over long term effort of changing your thought patterns of changing your stressors of changing your life to eliminate like if you're prone to anger, you can change your life by <laughs> arranging it such that you are angry less often. Uh, if you have that freedom. Um, so it's like, yeah, like whether you're going to flip out and kill somebody in a long line at, you know, uh, amusement park uh is 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 that's a split second decision that you probably have very little control of whether you just walk away and laugh or whether you beat the guy up or whether but like if you're the type of person that would beat someone up for doing something to you in an amusement line you can probably change that proclivity with a lot of thought therapy perhaps medication so like on the long term life we have control of over but in the day-to-day -day short term we're very reactive and very deterministic i i probably need to like find a blunt or something to ask this question but <laughs> what what do you think about the idea that y all of the changes you would make are simply spurred by the reactions the the physical reactions uh to the events that you had to experience because of your deterministic nature I, and therefore it's all deterministic so that's the thing is like i th th that goes back to like consciousness being an emergent quality it's not like consciousness isn't like a property of the brain chemistry. It's an emergent property of it. So mm -hmm. there is like some kind of governing force, our consciousness above the animal meat part of it. And I do think that that is where you can you can make some headway because it's not it's not like a, a positronic brain, for example, you know, like, you, you know, where is uh, where's data's ability to laugh? Is it in a single? No, it's in this network that probably changes and meshes all the time. You can remove parts of it and still the system's resilient enough. And I think that's kind of how I see the free will versus determinism interface going. Gotcha. But yeah, let's, fi okay. let's find a blunt and fire. Let's just just change this podcast into the two guys that don't know what they're talking about, talking about consciousness <laughs> podcast. <laughs> It's essentially it. like Joe Rogan, right? Like we just yeah. we just restarting Joe Rogan's podcast ten years ago, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, I need to find some MDMA. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on to Dolores explaining her escape from Westworld to Bernard as they tour the sanctuary. We think this is three months ago, but there's a wrinkle here. Uh, portions of this scene are letterboxed, which. If you're familiar with Westworld, you know that means someone is aware that they're in a simulation. Mm -hmm. And Bernard, I think, in this scene even says, this isn't real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, also, something about a hint for like this being simulated. Did you have a problem with the fact that Charlotte shows up to William and it's like high fucking noon? And by the time he gets cleaned up, it's like dark. Is that a clue that... Does, it, does, she, does she hanging around literally all day waiting for him to get his shit together. I mean, maybe, maybe it takes a guy that's in that state yeah. that long, but like what he did is he got, he didn't clean up anything. He got dressed, he shaved himself and he walked outside. Mm -hmm. I just think that that's another, another clue that we are looking at, um, a gap between our perception of what's happening and what's actually happening. Gotcha. Could certainly be. All right, after that, Bernard and Stubbs are staying in a hotel, and Stubbs is pounding beers as they test Bernard's new pause button and discuss Dolores' plans for replacing Liam with a host. 
Uh, maybe this is a good place to talk about divergences. I agree. There's this theory that I see referred to as like Bernard's glitch in the matrix kind of theory where throughout the season, we have seen things from different perspectives and subtle shifts in it. And you actually called one out in the first episode and I dismissed it as kind of like it was when Bernard goes to tend to this calf. Uh, we mm, see yeah. that it's got barbed wire wrapped around an otherwise functional leg. But when the camera reverses, Bernard says the leg is broken and you pointed out, yeah. and I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe it got broke in, you know, once it got wrapped around the barbed wire. But then there's been people have been noticing more and more of these. Like, there's there's one in this scene. Um, you see the two rockets descend, uh, and then the one rocket going up, which some people think is a divergence. I, I think that's a little weak. But as he I continues too, yeah. to walk past that dry pool, there's a family in the background, and a woman is, like, folding up this rainbow-colored towel. And as he walks past them, you see them again, and she's folding a very dark green-colored towel. Um, mm. And when these things happen, they're most often accompanied by like Bernard getting a frown on his face. Another example from the first episode is um, him walking past these men as he's going into one of his geodesic apartments. And it looks like they're getting, they're very angry and they're ready to fight. And then as he walks past them and and the camera shifts to see in the front side of them, they're now like, you know, singing songs around the fire. Mm -hmm. And, this is like again. I mean, th- this isn't like mind blowing to me because for the last two weeks, I'm th- I've been saying I think they're playing with instead of timelines, uh, simulation lines. But this is this yeah. is it. This is this is the definitive proof. Yes or no? I, oh, I mean, well, it's certainly the quintessential glitch in the Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that the only way it could be more so is if he was ex- uh, experiencing deja vu. But like yeah. uh, every time he frowns now, I'm sort of looking for the glitch. Uh, and he does it all the time, and I don't think it's always <laughs> right. representative. Of, Sometimes it's just acting oh, in the simulation. Yeah, right. Sometimes it is, but I'm on the lookout now because mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that there was a lot of that stuff. If you remember in season two around Dolores um, and Bernard mm-hmm. and the the killing of of the humans, like there was a scene where they were all lined up. Right. And you had the milk guy jump in front and like sacrifice himself. Right. And there were inconsistencies yeah, yeah, yeah. every time they showed that. Mm-hmm. And so that turned out to be defragmented memories or or sorry, uh de addressed memories, uh placing us in different times. Yeah. This time it could certainly be placing us in different levels of simulation. There's also two other things I wanted to point out. Um I've had this theory. Um I don't know. Maybe maybe I was one of the first ones to to propound it, but that we're going to understand that Bernard. We came into the series. I think we even mentioned this in the preseason that like we're rooting for Bernard. We're rooting against Dolores. Dolores is the bad guy. I think this scene also kind of directly addresses that role switch between Bernard and Dolores um, because Dolores last season learned that control gives you power and strength. But it comes at a great cost. And she learned that when Teddy killed himself rather than to continue being the monster that she had created. Whereas Bernard is very much season two Dolores going reprogramming host willy nilly, building off switches, testing them on them like they're some kind of fucking animal. Um, the, the, the host is aware of it and complaining and saying this ain't cool the whole time. Um, I think that's showing us that they have essentially switched places that Dolores went through in the the uh the exodus of westworld a process that allowed her to have a much greater understanding of the world and control systems that bernard has still just a very you know he's in his infancy understanding and i think that's going to cause a lot of grief 
by the end of the series. The other thing... Yeah, you can see sort of uh, Dolores' reaction to that when her and Stubbs are fighting, and Stubbs is like, actually, I can't not do this because Bernard programmed me to. Right. And she gives like a look of, mm-hmm. mm, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe that's other reason... Ooh, maybe that explains why she's using herself. Because she's realized mm-hmm. it's immoral to impress someone else into your service. I certainly think so, yeah. I, I'm coming around, actually, on Dolores maybe not being quite the villain that I thought she was. Mm um at the end of last season because yeah she doesn't have that change of heart and i think her like that reveal of it being all dolores is all the way down Mm -hmm. is kind of the thing that cements it to me she's unwilling to use to enslave her own people here in order to achieve her ends anymore right um the other thing i wanted to point out this is just you know a nerd thing but the ass landing rockets Another thing that like the the Boston Dynamics robot kind of demonstration in episode two, like, yeah, if you've seen a video of that actually happening, it's so fucking wild. And so the future is now that like it, it, it it's kind of like real life has spoiled this this moment in the in the show. You know, we didn't have yeah, we're not absolutely. flying cars, but not even the wildest Flash Gordon future imagination. Did we see like <laughs> a skyscraper style descent for with with a, a rocket? I thought it was just so cool. I, I will say it does seem routine, like that mm-hmm. that scene where uh, Bernard's walking by and just sort of watches two rocket lands land side by side, essentially, right? Yeah. Well, what are they like half a mile apart, maybe? Yeah, it's like um, a, like an airport. And then another one takes off right afterward. You mm-hmm. you can call it a divergence if you want. I right. tend to call it like progress. Yeah, yeah, technological yeah. progress because yeah. we don't have to. It almost seems like these are trains leaving the station, exactly, right? And seventeen yeah. of them can leave at the same time in close proximity and it's not a big deal yeah it reminded me of um like when i used to work at fedex at night and the planes were coming in and you could see like the 17 sets of lights like just like maybe a mile <laughs> apart just stretching infinitely into the distance and just like yeah between now and the next 45 minutes like 90 planes are going to l- land here and it reminded right. me a lot imagine of imagine if the wright brothers had tried that right <laughs> yeah. they're trying to land 15 of their fucking first they'd have to get 15 of them together. i don't <laughs> took a, uh, uh, how many years did it take to build the first one but yeah 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 progress feet. All right, uh, let's progress to the next scene. Please. Dolores buys Caleb a new suit to fit in on their mission. Uh, first, because this is going to be, I'm sure, a discussion. Mm-hmm. First, I want to say, speaking of technology, this way you try on clothes in the future is amazing and actually something that we can almost certainly do right now. And I don't know why the online clothing companies haven't done this. You know what's cool is I did I tried an online glasses site and they have this where you can take uh, okay. not in real time, but you can take a selfie and line up by the pupils and try all the different designs and see what it looks like on your face. But why not real time though? Like I, we have all these Snapchat filters and like it's coming. You can turn for yourself sure. into a fucking dog live mm-hmm. on stream and mm-hmm. have a tongue wagging out of your mouth. You can't put a suit on your body. Come on. Yeah, or like yeah, I think that's this is probably stuff that's in the lab and we will see in high-end clothiers or how do you pronounce that clothes uh that that's something that'll right. be coming in the next like five or ten years if I not certainly sooner. hope so if not sooner like that, that hell i if, if you told me you saw this on ec like the 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 e3 show trade show i guess not this year because it was canceled but like yeah. next year la- even last year i'd be like oh yeah that fucking it's totally believable Before we dive into the next mind-blowing blunt topic that we're going to have to talk about, uh, (laughs) what did you think uh, this um, 
Dolores explaining the uh, the Caleb that rich people are tribal. They use plumage to identify themselves, which makes them easy to fool. Um, I don't feel like that is the case because I feel like wealthy or uh, I'm not going to say wealthy. I'm going to say that people of class and privilege are very good at ferreting out people that aren't. Um, oh, yeah. And because uh, like I'm in a I'm in a fairly poor neighborhood. It's a bit that's bumped up right next to a very wealthy neighborhood in Cincinnati. And boy, are those people really good at drilling down to what street do you live on? Where did you go to high school? What did you, you know, and and, and like I've also been in other things where like uh, I've been able to hobnob with people and they're just like able to. Yeah, you can wear the right clothes and maybe have the attitude, but you have to have a pretty fucking convincing backstory to like fucking um, talented Mr. Ripley them long term because they yeah. just know what schools you went to, where you grew up. Uh, subtle things about your accent, the way you view, like they, they're very good at determining, you know, and sorting people uh, by that. So I don't know. I don't know if that'll eventually blow up and bite Dolores in the ass, but, or if it's just a conceit that the, sh the showrunners have and they're going to go with it. But um, yeah. And I, every time Dolores makes some broad sweeping statement about humanity, I sort of cock my head to the side and go, A, how would you know? Right. But also B, is that actually accurate? I'm, right. I'm not sure. Um, right. I, I think me and uh, you know Jonathan Nolan and, and Lisa Joy maybe differ in opinion on humanity from time to time. Yeah, and it just depends fine. on what segment of humanity you're looking at. You know, if you, do you find the right. the worst, most blighted part in a city and say like, oh, I understand what this is like, and or do you, do you go into the worst backwoods meth cooking trailer park and be like, oh, I know what this society looks like, or, um. Yeah. Shall we talk about this uh, Friston uh, clo clo uh, custom clothier? 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 Yeah, so that's the, the name of this shop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you know about uh, Carl J. Friston? Well, until yesterday, I knew nothing about Carl J. Friston. And again, uh, today I feel like I know everything about Carl J. Friston. <laughs> and again, credit to Kim uh, Renfro over on Insider because uh, her article is what led me to read the Wired profile on uh carl friston and it's titled the genius neuroscientist neuroscientist who might hold the key to true ai which i'll link um in the show notes i read this thing a couple of times and it's a very deep hard to understand concept in fact a lot of the articles devoted to explaining how many many smart people think this is a very difficult to understand concept how do you want to approach this because I think uh, the, the, uh, from a place of pure ignorance, because right, uh, somehow I got through this article thinking it wasn't a super complicated process yeah. or, or concept, rather, mm -hmm. and that makes me think that I'm fooling myself. Okay, um, when many many smart people have trouble with it, and I seemingly did not. Yeah, we had a little conversation before the podcast, and I worry that like I understand it well enough to kind of understand it, but not well enough to explain it. Um, yeah. But but I'm going to try because I do think that there's several places where this uh, article and this uh, this uh, free energy principle interface with the show. And I think that this is being a big influence by on Nolan and Joy. So well, who uh, Carl Frist is a guy who came up with the free energy principle concept. He's a psychologist, uh, but he's also like grounded in math. And uh, the last 10 years or so, he's been spending a lot of time on the concept of A.I., how does the how does the free principle free energy principle what is it describe it so as i understand it the big caveat big asterisk here uh the free energy principle is the idea that your body or your mind and your body uh everything you are as a human is trying to figure out 
sort of uh, is is a predictive machine about the sensory data it's getting mm-hmm. um, from the world. And so, like the free energy principle says that the free energy is basically the difference between the expectations that you have and the reality, or I guess the state of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it it doesn't work just on the human mind. Like you can uh, explain single cellular life and how it behaves because they all have inputs, and it's all um, it explains like uh, the world or the universe works on this, the second law of thermodynamics, which means that things tend towards decay and lower energy states. But living beings are the one kind of like exception. They are the things that are out of chaos, organizing order, right? Um, so like. Um, Oh man, where do we go from here? Uh, why? I, one of the things I wonder is why they use the term free energy because the that doesn't seem like it has any application to the theory. like he, the free energy concept of free energy is the gap between your expectations of what you're going to get and what your sensory is set telling. One example is if you are believing that your left hand, your left index finger is touching your nose, but your eyes and your your body's nervous system tells you that your hand is laying, you know, hanging at the side, then there that's that's a that's a problem or that that's a that's an example of free energy and there's a way to res- resolve that free energy which is to bring your hand up and touch the nose or you can so that's so there's two ways to do it you can either change your prediction which is like oh i guess my arm's just dangling there or you can act on the world to bring it in line with your predictions and those two things are that's to me where it gets super interesting and where i start to start uh, i start to see the parallels between the free energy principle and what they're doing in the show right right um Um, but they they say that this applies to AI because like Friston believes that the reason that we sample the world, the reason we look around and we hear things and touch things, is to ensure our predictions become the self fulfilling prophecy. So that when we think, mm-hmm. oh, if I, you know, go to sleep, I don't know, that's a bad example, but like you know, when we're trying to contemplate and plan an action, to the extent that we fail, we try to either resolve, you know, change our expectations, or we act on the world to bring uh, us to a state of success. And this applies to AI because there's. And one one of the ways you can organize a, a self learning AI is have this reward and reinforcement system where you have to tell the AI, okay, here's the basic rules about your environment. Here's the ways you can interact with it. And if you do these things, then you get rewarded. And if you do these things, you I guess get punished. Whatever that means to an AI. Um, so and that's had some success. But in late years, they've been trying this free energy model where they don't do that. They just give this AI, an awareness of senses that it has. And then it does, it just goes and explores the environment in a free, uh, in, in a free fashion and uses the gap between what it expected to happen and what its sensors tell it to essentially refine its systems. And these things are both more robust and more precise than the equivalent reward and reinforcement systems that, that, that have, have come before. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me because I'm like, I'm not totally sure absent a, some kind of goal, which is, um, I was reading this book, uh, intelligence, I think it's intelligence 3.0. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the sort of key cornerstones of an intelligence period is that it has some kind of goal. And that goal is not necessarily given to it from an outside entity. It could be its own goal, but the free pr- energy principle doesn't seem to address that part of it to me. Um, I guess you could say that the goal is to match the the state 
of its expectations with the state of reality. But once it does that, once it's able to do that, where does it go from there? What what is its what is its goal? And I guess like I if think... I'm looking at this as a person, I do have some fundamental built-in goals, right? I mean, they're the the idea of all life is sort of to reproduce, right? Right. To, to um, further its own existence. To survive. Fail, uh, which I'll note that you're failing to do so. So I am. Uh, <laughs> I'll probably fail to do so my entire life. If it's well, up to me. Not, well, but <laughs> I think that like, because you're a much more complex system, but I still think that that's, yeah. you could, you could extract it that like you live your life until life surprises you. And then you either deal with that surprise or you're enacting ways to reduce the surprise. Right. Yeah. Like you're, you know, like whatever, whatever that so goal is. So it's an immersion is. goal. Yeah. Based on input data. Because this, so there's a lot of interesting, like, if you look at the single-celled life, like, you know, Frisian is talking about in this, this article about um, how single cells have membranes uh, as a way to deal with this uh, free energy because things from the outside world, you know, you get too much sodium in your ion channels and sh your metabolism breaks down. So it builds a, a membrane to shield itself from the outside world so its internal processes can uh, can go the way it wants them to, it expects them to, and it only allows things in and out of that boundary um, selectively. And he says you can apply that to like what we see happening in life on social media where people deal like when you if you're a conservative person or a liberal person and you meet someone from across the aisle, quote unquote, uh, that usually leads when you start having a conversation to like cognitive dissonance because they're telling you things that you don't think about and you don't agree with and it's unpleasant. So we build membranes around ourselves and then we form membranes and colonies of people of like minds so that we reduce our level of surprise and like the the mm -hmm. balkanization of like social media and, and our own communities are an outplaying of this uh you know uh free energy principle which i thought was interesting okay so that is super interesting and let's take that in the direction of the show yes. because i think there is a like one-to-one -one correlation here with rehoboam mm -hmm. because if you look at that, like specifically your example of how people change the outside state of the world, right? They they put a bubble around their social media interactions or even their personal societal interactions in order to kind of bring the world into a state that they recognize mm -hmm. as existing. That is kind of what Rehoboam is doing in a way. Like it has a reading on humanity, right? That it is trying to enact both it's trying to line its own internal state up with the existing world. But we also see that in many cases, it influences in, in Caleb's case, it's influencing him to be the kind of person that it thinks he need that he's supposed to be mm -hmm. and thereby changing the state of the real world to better match its own internal expectation of the world. And it also ties it. And that's super fast. It also ties into like what we see in the intro where we see a single cell begin to divide and differentiate because the same math that shows like yes. how a, like a stem cell it eventually differentiates and decides to become a tooth cell or a skin cell or a colon cell is the same math that governs these like online communities forming membranes around themselves and differentiate and getting more extreme and more specialized. Um, the other thing I thought was really interesting is that the, this guy started off as a psychologist trying to figure out how to treat schizophrenia. And a lot of these things came out of that. And uh, there's a lot of mental illness, obviously, in Westworld. And he thinks that he's got this unified theory of mental illness, which is 
mental illness is not is when our a system of the our ability to make inferences and predict them and adjust our behavior breaks down and we're no longer able to navigate this free energy. Uh, when our brain assigns too much or too little weight on evidence that comes pouring in from our senses, you get into trouble. Like, you know, uh, a person with schizophrenia might not be able to uh, update their model of the world to account for, for accurate information that's coming from their eyes and ears. Um, and he thinks that most psychiatric conditions are broken belief and false inferences, which manifest in hallucinations and delusions. And, I mean, you see that all over the place you see that with Hale going on now like you know she can't she's seeing uh or dolores as Hale. she's seeing Hale in the mirror and the difference between what she's expecting to see and what she's actually seeing that that surprise she can't gap she can't bridge that gap and it's it's leading into objectively crazy behavior self-harm mutilation strangling people randomly in parks um and obviously william's experiencing much the same thing with his own uh expectation of being a human being right and perhaps his reality of being a robot and he no longer feels that he can get to the bottom of the truth when it can no longer trust the sensory uh, perceptions which is why he is descending in this mental illness like i said it's i don't know that we've done it exactly justice but (laughs) um it is a fascinating concept in one paragraph uh, i want to rip right from the article uh, some scientists believe the free energy principle is evolving into a real-life version of Isaac Asimov's psychohistory. Uh, psychohistory is a fictional system in his uh, Foundation and Empire uh, series that reduces all of psychology, history, and physics down to statistical science able to predict and shape future events down to the smallest detail. And there you got Robo-Hobo. So I, <laughs> I encourage right. everybody, if you like to have a deep think uh, and you want to see kind of like these are several concepts, like three or four different concepts that, that directly tie into season two and three of Westworld. You really should take mm-hmm. it. It's a long article. It's a good half hour to plow through it. And then to actually absorb it even more. Um, especially if you go on a Wikipedia deep dive into the free energy principle. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to link that yeah. uh, into show notes. And, and if you want to get into the, the, the bleeding crazy edge of theory crafting, I think it's going to be required reading. Yeah. I All agree. that just from a sign that looks like a bow tie on the back wall of yeah, a, of a and, and I, we, we were sort of talking about this before the podcast. I think it's super important that they throw things like that in there for people to catch. Um, Cause like I said, I didn't know who the hell Friston was mm-hmm. yesterday. Uh, and I know, I, I feel like today I have a much better understanding of what's going on in the show, simply from that sign that they threw in and the investigative work that people have done on uh, the internet. So it's, it, I I feel like I would be more lost without that stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of like, I guess that's the, that's the kind of thing I like in my shows where they sort of shed a little bit of light, not trying to obfuscate things, but like, look, maybe you're not getting this, so let's throw you a bone here. One, I think there's there's two valid ways to enjoy a show like this. One is to just watch it and let your mind be blown. It's got to let it watch yeah. over you and like go. And the other way is to try to figure it out in advance. And I like that they give you these little signposts. It's like, well, if you're the ones that are just not just super impatient or like a super fan, here's something that kind of lays out a a way to look at the world that might make some of this stuff make sense. Because it is, you know, if you are trying to figure it out, there's a lot of opaque opacity going on here. And stuff like this Friston, oh, yeah. this Carl Friston's teachings, uh, I thought were very illuminating. All right, let's move on to Martin tricking Liam to get into giving up the code to his personal bank account. Liam's such a uh, fucking lightweight, man. 
Liam's such a, a guy from the newsroom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, a lightweight, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the correct answer to uh, this is like, you're fucking fired. Get the fuck out of here, which probably would have led to his death. But like, how, in what world does just like disrespecting, bullying, and shitting on somebody lead them to just like petulantly sign a blank check? I guess in the world where you're not, you're not the guy. You're the son of the guy. It's just I just think that and they that one of the relentless things in the show is the type of person that goes to Westworld is a dumb, dumb, weak, undesirable person, almost without exception. Yeah. I can't think of a single person or evil or or uh, like William. Yeah, which you know, uh, it's very easy to get good men that are weak and inefficient to do bad things um, if they mm -hmm. suffer from those qualities, and women too. I shouldn't. Uh, but yeah, it seems like that that's the point that all these people are just too fucking whatever, stupid, selfish, uh, insecure, mm -hmm. credulous. All the above. Yeah. Uh, so question for you, to what end are they trying to get his money? Oh, I think because it doesn't play out when really in this episode. Yeah, it? it does. When Hale, when Haloris says to William, I've got a moneyed buyer who's ready to step in for with uh, money. Dolores is going to end up being the majority shareholder before the season's over, probably before the next two episodes is over. Yeah. So I think that's good call. That's the thing. It's like it's just one sentence throwaway because you forget that when you realize that this was all a sham to get him uh, institutionalized. But I think she lays it around like, oh, yeah, we got this big deep pocket investor and it is. Liam's bank account with uh, a Dolores face plastered on on front of it. Nice, because uh, we do know she's already robbed one billionaire. Yeah, and the data uh, pad that they show here Liam's shows cash. that his net worth is something like three hundred and sixty billion dollars. Which, well, if you got a that, trillionaire, that seems low. that's still a lot. That seems low. <laughs> that's a lot of money. I'm gonna say Liam spent a lot of the the financial uh, assets of insight on you know, whatever it might be enough hookers. to buy a controlling share in Delos, especially if there's a fire sale going on, which it seems like there is, you know? And like I said, she's already stolen a bunch of money from another billionaire. Right. So potentially she has much more than 385 sure. she's billion working her way up the billionaire chain. Yeah. Watch out. Uh, Bezos jr. She's coming for you next. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, if Bezos doesn't have, you know, at least a trillion, at least a trillion, Would he he's be dead slacking. by then. Not necessarily. Four, thirty. I guess it's only 30, 40 years in the future, but he's old. He's like yeah. 50. I guess he could be 90. Oh, I'm yeah. Gonna say... No problem in the future. Mm. All right. The future is the future, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dolores attacks a guy from Liam's private equity firm and steals his blood. Mm -hmm. We'll figure out what that's about this, later. I, this, this blood biohash shit seems like su such bullshit. But it's just there mm. to get around the fact that the plot requires their biometric thing to be some kind of blood marker and not fingerprints yeah. or retina scans or anything else because the host would be fucked. You know, they can inject shit into their bodies to pass as other people, um, but mm -hmm. they can't, like, you know, match every person in the world's fingerprint, et cetera, et cetera. So it's one of these things right. where, like, teleporters in Star Trek, it doesn't make sense. It probably never will work, but the plot requires it. And I'm, I'm going to go along with it. Yeah, I had a lot of questions. I have another question on how the hell this works. Mm -hmm. How the hell do you get away with knocking someone out and stealing their blood in a world that has to be just blanketed with cameras? Blanketed. Every square inch of public Especially since uh, it, life would be covered. It wasn't. Well, I mean, they do have. They could have solved that by just having her click a garage door opener because they've also told us that that world can be, that those right. cameras can be disabled at any time. But. 
but they don't do more that. to the like, point if it's easy to jack if that's that easy to jack a rich person's identity you just got to jab him with a needle in like a crowd or something you could run to a bank and i mean the it seems like an identity theft nightmare there's no secondary yeah. check like oh you got the yeah. blood there's not even a photo id like you don't look anything <laughs> right. like this dude and you've got his blood what the fuck but again some things you and just when gotta you read the blood marker a picture doesn't come up right person? like right i scan my season ID. pass at king's island then a photo pops up and like you know you can transfer yeah. 360 billion dollars just because your blood marker is it's sloppy. yeah but it's it's it's, 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 it's got to be this way for it to work because like right. like i said with the, otherwise these synthetics just be fucked like every time they have to identify the fact that they're a human let alone a particular one they just fail all the time yep uh, okay, let's go to a much better scene. It's Sorak waking Maeve up in a restaurant in Singapore, and he explains that because his home of Paris was destroyed as a child, he's been trying to figure out how to protect humanity from itself for his whole his whole life. And to do that, he needs the data from the park, and he needs the key in Dolores' head to get it. He offers to reunite Maeve with her daughter if she gets that for him, and he shows Maeve the sanctuary where Dolores created the other host bodies, and they torture the person who helped Dolores get the new identities, and they find out that someone named the mortician helped her. Um, Singapore, more like Simapore, am I right? You are one. Of, uh, my biggest question going into this scene is how the hell did he get Maeve into this restaurant if she was offline? It's that it's did the type of restaurant you can just there? bring an unconscious an woman in, and they just assume, oh, you pre-roofied I mean, your 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 escort tonight sir very well very well i'll show you to our finest rapist table yes right this way right this way (laughs) in an episode with a sex auction yeah i guess why not yeah sure what is even consent and free will um but it did make me question whether or not we were sitting in a simulation and it's funny because mave immediately questions it right she's like huh this is an over-the-top simulation sure sure uh, I one thing I had in the the instant take is whether this uh, nuclear cloud that we see in France was referenced in the preseason trailer. Of course, it was. Uh, it happened October 9th, two thousand twenty five. There was a thermonuclear incident in Paris and looked like a doozy. That was a big fucking mushroom cloud, so big that I'm like, how did this guy survive? Uh, you already had radiation trucks on the scene to 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 hurt him up. Did he not? Did he not see the blinding white flash? Did not a say. did not a like a hundred decibel pressure wave sweep over this? Like what is it was this a simulation? Him and him and his brother uh Jacques, let's yeah. call him Jacques, uh had had biked twenty-five miles outside of the city mm. and they happened to be behind a mountain when it happened, so Or like they in, were in 2025 lead line clothes is just a fashion. So, oh yeah, lead line school uniforms, right? Yeah, yeah. You got you. That's that's you no. Know, it you know that's that's how you're gonna tell a poor person from a rich person. Like you know how how heavy are your mm-hmm. clothes? Do your clothes weigh a hundred pounds? Right. So they're, they're very good at that plumage detection. It's the free you. energy between the, the weight of your clothed body and the weight of your nude body. <laughs> I I like this scene. I'm a big Mae fan, but I wonder. I wish Mae would ask the question I'm screaming, which is what. How can you get me to robot heaven? Like, you have an encryption code to it's one thing. You don't even know where it's at. Number two, once I'm in there, it's it's kind of like Cypher with fucking um, Agent Smith when he's saying, oh, ignorance is bliss. Put me back to Matrix. Oh, each day, blah, blah, blah. Why doesn't Agent Smith just snap your neck and throw you in a biomass reclamation pod? Why would they re-entomb you into the Matrix and change, like, 
doesn't it mm -hmm. ever occur to you that the unthinking AI creature will just like fuck you over as soon as you agree to it? I mean, it certainly should. And and I think that um, I think that Maeve realizes this because if she didn't, the way he treats Zhang in the next scene, where it's like, hey, you know, buddy, if you tell me what you want to know, your family's going to be fine, and imply you're going to get out of here, and as soon as I get what I want, bam, between the eyes. She's not stupid. She's got to be seeing that. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, she's absolutely not stupid. She's perhaps the smartest person in the so world. So maybe she's actually smart. Maybe she's actually smart by not belaboring. Like, you know, she knows this is a bunch of bullshit. So why ask about details? Yeah. You know, I assume that's what's going through her head. Interesting. Uh, what I don't... The other thing is why this feels all unreal, um, other than the fact that she has magic powers in a real world, is that she just takes the job and walks off. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you're not going to get any help. There's no... You don't get... Do you have money? Did, did he give you a bunch of money? Uh, did you have weapons? Allies? You're squared off against six other AI beings that have a giant head start and... All you got is your magic powers, which you couldn't possibly have known you would have in the real world. I think this whole thing is simulated. It's it's entirely possible. Um, so so I guess what what is he trying to do here? Is he trying to run a simulation that would tell him that, that would have Maeve discover in the simulation what Dolores is up to and where she is and how to defeat her and then to use that information to do that in the real world. Well, it also could be like, this is just part three of the test of whether she can even do it. Like Roho Hobo, Hobo and Sarak is just seeing before, you know, uh, is Maeve capable of doing, you know, from what we know, is she capable of stopping the uh, apocalypse? And they're just putting mm -hmm. her through. This is, this is just a giant version of her escaping from war world, you know? Um, so far she's failing because we yeah. leave her at the end of this episode gutted in a pool of white Android milk. But, um, so I'm assuming and, uh, that we'll see her wake up and like Sirach will be like, okay, level two time to try again. And then I'll know for sure. Yeah. Cause uh, the other thing that sort of lends it to potentially being a simulation is, uh, you were questioning the instant take, how she would have access to all the electronics around her to sort of malfunction all these things. Mm -hmm. In a simulation, I mean, we've seen Neo do that, right? Sure. Like, it's not it's that hard. It's literally Neo in the Matrix. And also, yeah. I still don't understand what kills hosts. I don't understand in a million years why a single sword thrust through the gut would kill a host. It wouldn't. Um, so It certainly wouldn't. What the fuck? But then again, didn't she... St well, she stabbed dude through the heart. Like, a sword through the heart is a pretty instantaneous death, the way I understand it. A lot of blood. Yeah, once, once you lose blood pressure, you lose... Con blood pressure loss whether it's by decapitation, slit and jugulars, uh complete malfunction of the heart is you you lose you you lose consciousness rapidly like within seconds. Mm -hmm. And if you yeah. don't believe me, go to an MMA gym and ask one of those gorillas to put you in a fucking blood choke headlock. <laughs> 3 seconds you'll be night night. And that's all it takes. It's how No, I I mean it's it's why we breathe once every couple yeah. of seconds, right? Yeah. Like our body needs that oxygen yeah. going to the brain and if it doesn't have it, yeah. Brain's done. Done. Yeah. Uh, so, what's your opinion of Sirac after having watched this uh, for these first four episodes a couple of times now? Because I, I was very much of the idea that maybe he's not quite the villain that we made him out to be. I'm I'm coming around to the idea that maybe he's a villain, but he's certainly a sympathetic one. Yeah, he's definitely. I mean, that, or maybe even an unintentional villain. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, an instant take. I think I referred to him as like a Magneto type. That like. Uh, 
yeah he's definitely a villain and he wants something that i'm very makes me feel very uncomfortable but i understand why he's doing it um mm. and i don't know like there's also like uh he, he might be sympathetic from he's sympathetic just from like well my world was destroyed as a child, so I want to make sure that happens to no one else. Uh, and maybe sympathetic from the ends justify the means. Like maybe his long-term goal is to give mankind free to, free will, but there's going to be a lot of lives lost along the way to get society to a point where people can have the de- get them evolved to the point um, where they're comfortable enough that life is not zero sum you know, nature, bloody and tooth and claw to where you can, you know, have thoughts and empathy and and actually act instead of react. Those, I mean, again, that sounds horrific and it sounds like eugenics and a whole bunch of other shit that I'm not comfortable with, but I can understand how a guy like Serac would get there. I'm also curious if he's, um, I've got this, this pet theory and it's not my theory, obviously. Um, but that, that the, universe is sort of alive in a similar way to us mm. um and we are sort of the brain of the universe and and i won't i will i don't want to limit that to like Joe Rogan, humanity right <laughs> right, right absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. uh and and you know many respected scientists as well not a dude who's <laughs> hitting a blunt five seconds from now uh but but and i don't want to limit that scope to humanity mm-hmm. because that's foolish like intelligence uh on our scale the, the scale that we're sort of gearing up into, these societal scales, these planetary scales, perhaps even galactic scales, mm-hmm. uh, are sort of the consciousness of the universe um, as a larger organism. And I think that's interesting in context of Rehoboam, which is sort of harnessing the energy of what I would call like all the individual neurons, which are the human elements, mm. right? The individual humans into this collective sort of thinking mind. Um, that, that can both, you know, updates internal state, like we talked about with the, the field, uh, energy or free energy principle, mm-hmm. and then also exercise, uh, actions within the universe through our physical bodies, um, through our societal mechanisms to sort of think about itself. Right. And, and have like a consciousness, like, is this, I guess where I'm going with this is, is Westworld going to end up with a consciousness on a greater scale than any species or individual or race or anything like that are we going to come together as a society and create an entirely new consciousness that is one like meta level above humanity or host i mean it might be the quarter robitussin talking but i think yeah you're right on (laughs) (laughs) no i think that's a fundamentally uh, that's an interesting concept like if we're not the universe's eyes and brain then what is what mechanism does the universe have to perceive itself um and you know they're like if there's an emergent proper emergent system from all of our independent synapses firing together why can't there be some kind of emergent system from all the mass of humanity together um that's a pretty cool concept you know that was the original concept i think for the <laughs> that's also i think yeah, the original man. concept for yeah. the matrix that <laughs> that that uh you're supposed to understand that humanity wasn't a battery but it was actually a like a supercomputer they're like an organic, like a networked uh, mesh computer mm. network. Um, okay. And somehow it got turned into power because it's easier to understand or whatever. Yeah. It was a movie after all. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's move on to William cleaning himself up. And uh, he and Charlotte discuss who might be the mole, which is hilarious because we know who the mole is. Yeah, and he medium suspects her, which means <laughs> that he was right all the way. 
Um, I, yeah. you know, many, 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 many people pointed out the similarities between having the man, man in black having diluted Dolores shave him in season one versus diluted William being shaved by uh yeah a, a woke holoris in in this season and yeah that's that's again that's the good shit that's the it's pretty delicious yeah that's like reminds me back in the breaking bad days where they would like ape shots from seasons ago to uh, it's just it's good hits just right yeah all right then we go on to dolores and caleb entering liam's bank using the stolen blood to empty his bank account that is uh, uh accurate that's yep I- I, I don't know, like, how, how tense were you in this scene? Was this effective um, on an emotional level? I, not especially, but I, I guess the tension was, am I going to see Dolores kick a bunch of ass, or is this going to work? Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes... It's, just, it's so early, like, in this, this rebellion, mm-hmm. in this revolution, that if she were to kick a bunch of ass, I wouldn't believe that she'd be able to withstand the full force of humanity right. coming down upon and, her and i think that's why even dolores is very confident about well i'll just kill everybody when she was looking around and seeing all the guys with rifles she was clearly worried yeah. so i think right no nah, there's not real tension there but like you sometimes have to observe the forms you know like you, you can have a 30 yep. seconds where it's like i like the money okay here's the money okay i got the money like you you might as well you might as well do it so the idea that um that you had that, you know, this private investor was going to be, you know, Dolores herself mm-hmm. through the money they steal from Liam is interesting because it's sort of like this strange uh, twist of fate where William had sold the data to Liam or well to Liam's father, mm-hmm. I assume, um, which then became the money that was used to buy it out right from under him. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not it's not even just like the indirect, oh, you did this 20 years ago and it came back to haunt you. It's more like, no, these are the actual dollar bills. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> this is the money we stole from you uh, and we made using your data now coming back to buy everything out from under you. Yeah, it's wild. It's It reminds me, uh, it's it kind of like its own form of time travel. Like, it's like Biff taking the sports book back right yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, uh-huh. it, it's almost like a, a a paradox like had he not done that thing not, yeah, none of this would ever happen right alright Maeve tracks the mortician to her hideout and demands to know what Dolores was doing um, apparently Dolores asked her to smuggle out bodies and the Yakuza were helping her and Maeve makes uh, mortician take her to the Yakuza and I, it's my understanding that like we're not talking about smuggling bodies like the five that she had. We're talking about mass production smuggling bodies. Like we'll, when we find out that there's like the, this distillery is just running full time uh, Android milk, uh, they're going to be running a mass mass operation of, of moving. And it reminded me a little bit of like the Ameri- uh, American gangster. Um, and I've seen this plot before where I think this is loosely based on reality where uh, someone figured out you could traffic a lot of heroin by stuffing GI's bodies mm-hmm. coming back from Vietnam because, you know, yep. those got just waved through security. And if you had a connection on both sides, you could move unlimited amounts of heroin. Um, with the mortician, it makes me think that the way they're going to schlep these hosts around is through however you move dead bodies. You know, mm-hmm. people don't ask too many questions about that kind of stuff. And um, plus, it would be fucking metal as hell to see like a ton of. Uh, uh, hosts all over the world like punched their way out of coffins and like <laughs> morgues and whatnot. Wouldn't that be fucking cool? Yeah. Start their re- rebellion, a bunch of naked corpses getting off the tables and running amok. Uh, I mean, it'd be, you know, Westworld 
2.0, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the massacre that happened there. Yeah, yeah. I do think it's interesting, like, you know, as much as I think the blood marker stuff is dumb, it is cool that they continue to build on that concept of the world where you have a person like the mortician, which seems like her whole reason to exist is to find ways to save people's blood markers and give them to people so they can like this is the 20 this is the late 21st century equivalent of fake ids so yeah. having a body shop like hers that's kind of off the black you know off the you know definitely black market is is a cool concept that kind of feeds into that it does make you wonder like what's the permanence of those identities because we also know that it, the blood markers break down in like 15, 20 they're minutes. They're exposed to oxygen, which doesn't make sense because your blood is, isn't it saturated with, I guess not. I guess the actual blood inside you is not oxygenated. But at some point you breathe in the oxygen and it's exposed, right? I would think so. I would <laughs> so, think so. Like, isn't that the whole point of, blo- well, not the whole point of blood, but a big point of the blood is to carry oxygen? Yeah. I was thinking to that, the parts yeah, of the body it- that need it. If it was the exposed to oxygen, it would start to break down, and your body runs off oxygen for all of its biological processes. I, I, but again, right. So, how permanent are these identities, or is it more just a black market of like temporary identities? But yeah, so it's something that I, they I you get at birth. Do they inject you with a unique like identity marker, and it just like self replicates or something? I don't. I don't know. Uh, one of a myriad of questions I have about blood markers. Also. Isn't it bad to inject someone's blood into someone else without it being is this a is is this a I just thought of this is this more proof that Caleb might be a host because I thought it was very bad to just inject <laughs> someone's blood that is if you haven't like checked blood types and all that kind of stuff it can make you very very sick maybe it's more maybe it's more quantity than yeah I'm not sure how much it takes yeah uh but I do know you're you're right about that the body does reject outside uh it's organisms well, of all types, including other people's blood. If my uh, predictive systems are working correctly, I imagine we'll get a few doctors setting us straight because that's like <laughs> med school yeah. first semester shit uh, for sure. All right, let's move on to the Eyes Wide Shut sex auction mm-hmm. where uh, I guess everybody, everybody in the show except uh, the the William and Charlotte show up here. Uh Bernard grabs Liam and Caleb gives chase with Stubbs running defense on Dolores and they, they have a fight. It's a pretty good scene. Um, I'm a fan of eyes wide shut. So I, I enjoy seeing the references. I think somebody was talking about multiple Kubrick references. Like maybe there was a 2001 reference earlier this season. Could be, um, but this definitely felt Kubrickian even in like the austere lighting and, um, it's also pretentious as fuck. Like, it's it's only in certain echelons of society where this kind of sex auction goes on. And don't get me wrong, sex auctions I'm sure happen yeah. constantly in all stratas of society, yeah. but this is a particularly pretentious but one. But this is just like further outgrowth of like go to, like you see gross stuff like this at Oscar parties all the time, like you know ten thousand dollar ice sculpture with you know. $50,000 worth of caviar surrounding it and people just letting it go to waste because who the fuck, you know, it's like, it's, it's extravagant and perverse and, um, you know, very secretive and closed, closed off because it's essentially watching people jerk off and nobody, nobody likes yeah. that. So, um, I don't know. And it also lets, uh, Dolores deliver a sick line. Your world's not that different from my world at all. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, th- we also get confirmation here that they did tell Liam that Dolores was dead, mm. and True. and you know all his friends know it. Everything. Do you? I I do think this is the best fight of the episode, though. Like uh, Dolores yeah. versus Stubbs. Like uh, I really liked his Falcon knee uh, uh, to, to, to her, and I, I actually thought at one he's point just thought, so sluggish. Well, he's got a he's got his fuck shoulder still fucked up. I I know, and I I'm not gonna like I'm not blaming yeah. uh you know, whatever uh, Johnny Hemsworth here, mm-hmm. but Luke. like Luke, if he's gonna be the middle Hemsworth, we gotta remember his name, man. <laughs> yeah, Billy Hemsworth, he's he's fine. <laughs> uh, I, I I'm not gonna blame him, but like you know, Stubbs is a a big guy, yep. and he's swinging pretty wide here. Yeah. And I'm surprised he even lands one of those gargantuan punches, mm-hmm. let alone his knee. But I, I thought it's it, it, like if all the fights in the show, hand to hand fights, were this good, I wouldn't probably have many complaints. Yeah, yeah. Stubbs this, is certainly not dead. Like I don't know what kills a host, no, but a no. fall off a balcony on a single floor and a half fall is not going to do it. Yeah, it does. It makes you wonder how he gets away though, because like this happens fairly clandestinely. And people aren't too Until freaked then. out because it's happened in the middle of like a digital opium den, so everyone's kind of fucked up and thinking. I was. It, it's really funny because from these, uh, you know, simulation June, uh, simulation man and his girlfriend, uh, from their perspective, this is just fucked up because this is a person mm-hmm. literally returning from the dead, beating the shit out of somebody, and they just assuming it's drug. But like when she throws stubs over you hear a whole room full of people scream like is he just going to pick himself yeah. off the the ground to dust himself up walk up or walk off where are the can what are the cameras going to do i think mm-hmm. ah he just i think we're going to have to selectively excuse things that shouldn't be possible in a late 20th 21st century environment like right you know pervasive like surveillance and facial recognition yeah. and all that stuff like it you're just gonna have to sometimes it's gonna work and sometimes it's not and it's gonna be an entire service to the plot yeah i'm with you uh let's talk about genre because you mentioned people being in drugs uh being drugged up here yeah genre seems like it's gonna be a thing uh you don't mention a specific drug and tell you about its effects unless it's gonna come back and i think maybe in the next time on i saw something about it uh, but it, it kind of reminds me of speaking of Watchmen, uh, you were talking about it earlier of, of the nostalgia, mm. um, trip that Angela goes on. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if it's going to be anything similar to that, or if it's just going to be more of a feeling and less hallucinatory sort of experience. It also might be just a nod to the, the existence of these parks, because it seems like the thing that differentiates him is genre. Like you got Western world, you got, uh, shogun world you got the military war world all those different things um Mm -hmm. but also it's the name of the next episode oh okay i mean if it's in the name then yeah i wonder but that 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 raises more questions than answers especially since i've seen the next time on and it's fucking nuts did you did you watch it finally i did didn't it feel like it's like Uh, a whole season on like it covers it it covers a lot of ground in like 30 seconds man yeah, um, and we've seen, you know, from other previews and stuff, like the the man in black is, well, William is going to get some kind of implant. I don't know if he has it already or if he's going to get it later, uh, perhaps in this next episode in this, because they talk about genre interfacing with, you know, your 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 interface, mm-hmm. um, the, the implant in your mouth. So it, we could be in for a real trip next episode. Oh, yeah. Hold on a sec. 
Next up, we get the first part of the Maeve at the hideout of Sato, where um, she's warned about how insane Sato is, and she kills the guards and enters the facility. This is the the gun that bends your wrist scene. Mm -hmm. What'd you think of this? Uh, one does not simply walk into a Yakuza distillery unless you're Maeve, and that's exactly what you do. Um, yeah. Did you happen to note the name of the, the distillery? I did not write it down, but yes, I I read about this. Yeah, it's uh, it's I Doshin. I probably butchered that, um, but it's a Buddhist philosophy and uh, terminology, and it means to be in the same mind, even though we are many in body. We all have mm. different. I'm gonna read from um, a, a website where I got this. Uh, we all have different faces, characters, talents. No one is the same. This is the meaning of many in body. When we have the same goal and work together to achieve it, this signifies the same mind. And obviously, you can directly see the parallels between the five Doloreses out there uh, kicking ass and, and scheming and manipulating and uh, trying to achieve one goal. Literally one mind and I, in five separate bodies. And I do wonder how ironic that will seem by the end of this season. If yeah. we're going to have some kind of divergence between the five oh, I, Doloreses that are out there. I think it's... It's it's almost required because as yeah. we talked about this on instant take, um, the second Dolores put those marbles in a different body and then they separated and started having different experiences, they literally became different people. And yeah. I don't know to what extent Dolores understands that's going to happen. Like I'm hoping that like uh, uh, crazy Holores is her first clue that like you know these are different people with different needs and all that kind of stuff. But like I, I think that's just, I mean that that's there's a lot of existing science fiction dealing with clones and consciousness and bifurcation, and it does seem that you will start to diverge almost from the second that you're split off. Mm. So I, I hope they play with that because I think that's a really fun and exciting concept. The fact that she'll eventually be a house, but potentially a house divided. You'll have like three Doloreses on Team Bernard, two Doloreses on Team. Dolores and then one secret Dolores that's actually trying to work directly for I don't know Ford <laughs> yeah, sure yeah, some, Ford's in there Ford too. knew it's all going to happen and he split himself into five different marbles and she's unwittingly played and, and activated his Voltron contingency and uh, her eyes are going to glow white and he'll she'll start speaking like Anthony Hopkins yes can't wait <laughs> mark it on a prediction board uh, there are some parallels I guess between uh, what's going on with Rehoboam and what's going on with Dolores in this concept of, uh, what'd you say? Like it, it tied Doshin. Yeah. It tied Doshin. Um, yeah. Being of one mind and many bodies. Cause I mean, that's essentially like, you know, I talked about the universal brain theory, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that's essentially what that would be. Mm -hmm. Uh, all of humanity working in concert under the control of this single mind Rehoboam. Oh, interesting. You've got two equal and opposed armies. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder if they're going to do anything with that. Mm. We'll see. That'd be cool. All right, William's ready to leave, but first he has one last mirror battle with Emily. Uh, and she says she'll be back at some point, I think. I believe her. <laughs> I don't yeah. think when you're actually hallucinating, you have the choice to cho choose to leave anything behind, man. <laughs> he tries to exert his free will, his will not to yeah. see her anymore, but... He, I don't know if that's going to work. He lost control of his free energy. That's what I'm going to say. Instead of saying someone lost sure their marbles, which is actually oddly apropos to Westworld, I'm going to say just you, you lost, you've lost grip on your free energy, man. Yeah. You're going to rein that in. <laughs> All right. 
uh, all at once. And th there's a lot of scenes happening. There's a lot of stuff here, and I'm going to describe it very swiftly. Uh, Maeve sees that Masashi is the ringleader and creating host goo. Mm -hmm. uh, Caleb chases down Liam. Martin holds Bernard at gunpoint. William is committed. And we find out that every single host is Dolores. Holy shit, that's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff, but it's also the natural kind of outgrowth of things we're talking about. Um, yeah. So we've, I think we've covered most of the multiple Doloreses. Um, I did want to go back and revisit something that I don't think we talked about, which is there's this idea that um, Dolores said that she, if we go by what Dolores said, that she didn't smuggle Bernard out of the park so much as she reimagined him on the outside. Yeah. Um, I have this theory that Dolores spent like the first week and out of the park. Okay. Let me back up. Hosts have a huge computational and memory storage. Like, like Peter Abernathy was able to hold the entirety of the ho the guest data in his brain. Now it wasn't good for him, but it just implies that like uh, what that one of those marbles are like way, 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 way computationally overkill for what they're doing. Um, I wonder if Dolores like sat in a lotus pose and meditated for like a solid week and just did nothing but simulate in her own head what would happen and planned out her next uh, moves. And one thing she wanted to do is create a Bernard that would do a particular thing. And I think that particular thing it's doing is like like the concept of radar chaff, like when you got a you know radar guided missile coming out, and you dump a bunch of aluminum foil strips in the air, and then the thing chases that instead of the you know aircraft. I wonder if Bernard being this divergence that she can predict and control because she built his mind is running interference with Robo Hobo, so she can you know it's, it's got more than one divergence to track down and kind of masks what she's doing. That's the corruption that he's talking about. Yeah, it's not even corruption. It's 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 it'd be a corruption that he wouldn't be able, right. be able to detect. Um, yeah, but I also think it's interesting that there, if that's true, um, th there's already a divergence because if it's it's literally simulated, then she should know exactly what Bernard's going to do, and she sh he should she shouldn't be surprised when he shows up a few minutes or hours or days early, right? So we see that there's already maybe, yeah. maybe a divergence there, but I, I think that there's a, there was a lot of fuckery that she got up to in between escaping the park and then going and throwing that billionaire into a swimming pool to his death. Okay, I, I'm trying to take stock uh, here. Do a, do a little inventory on who who has what pearl in their head. Okay, so there are five pearls that came out of the park plus. The one that was in Hale. So there are six total. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those is currently in Dolores. Mm -hmm. One of those is currently in Hale. One of those is in Musa Martin. Yeah. One of those is in Bernard. One of those is in Musashi. One of those is in Musashi. So that's five. There's still one unaccounted for, yeah. One unaccounted for. What if that Pearl is acting as a scaled down version or or a facsimile of like a Rehoboam hmm I mean the it's the one thing that jumps out of me is the shape like they're both spheres the <laughs> both, one's just a very yeah. compact one like that's kind of interesting I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are screaming it's Caleb it's Caleb what is your thought <laughs> right what is your thought on Caleb being Man, a host? I don't want everybody on this show to be a host yeah I agree um, I, th I, I think the opportunities there for 
saying something about humanity become extraordinarily limited once everyone's a host mm -hmm. or everyone's in a simulation. Yeah, because I, I think also it destroys a lot of what the, the symmetry of the story where they're telling that humans are on track, you know, like if he's just a host, all that goes out the window. You know, everything we right. thought we knew about human society in this future goes out the window. Um, so but, I don't like it. I'm not going to say it's not true, though. But I, I, but I will be open to some of the things we see Caleb doing uh, is simulated inside Robo, Robo Hobo. Okay. Um, the other thing is, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave open the possibility that maybe Dolores is keeping a marble spare. Maybe, as you say, to simulate, you know, to be a an equal and opposite to Robo Hobo. But also, we got to get William in a host body at some point. Seems likely. And I wonder if long term they're planning on like you know they're saving a marble from him, and that explains why Hale Haleoris stabs his you know gets a DNA sample from him. By stabbing him in the uh, neck. Um, let me throw something out there. Is it possible that we re need to, in the light of the simulation stuff in this season, recontextualize last season's post-credit stinger? Agreed. With where where William was in a seemingly uh, far-flung future, where Westworld is completely run down and yeah. he's being tested for fidelity. Do we need to maybe recontextualize that as him being in a simulation? And that being present day. Yes. Or another possibility is he's in a mental institution and he's recontextualized that as being in a Delos lab that he can't get out of, you know, because right. we already see that he can have waking delusions about these hosts coming back and his daughter coming back and thinking he's a he's a host. Like yeah. it could just be that he is in this sterile lab environment that he can't escape. And he his fractured mind puts himself back in the position of Jim Delos. <laughs> So, so what if the pearl isn't in him? He's in the pearl. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> what if he's keistered the saying? pearl? He's got uh, two equal and opposite brains now at both ends of the body, and <laughs> yeah, and it's no, I simulating mean, is yeah, this show, this show, man, <laughs> really gets you chasing your tail. Where's my blunt? <laughs> All right, uh, I, I gotta get another quarter. I lost of track of my blunt. <laughs> Before we move on, there's this one big question I had, which is. I mentioned that Shaloris, Sh uh, or you know whatever we're calling her, is says at the beginning that she's got a deep pockets investor. Mm -hmm. Um, but even then, is not enough to get all the shares. They're going to need William to uh, convince the investors. But she has him committed, mm -hmm. and all of his shares go to her. But she already said that him and her shares together are not enough to take the company public. So yeah, how do they bridge that yeah. gap? Uh, she needs to convince more people on the board to side with her. How does she do that? Because they're all wildly skeptical. Like, I'm going to be have a uh, real she problem. Some of them. She could, but she's only got one marble left. Um, I wonder if... So, so my idea that they're going to copy William seems like it'd be the obvious solution to do. But then mm -hmm. how the hell do you copy William, but he's also in a mental institution somewhere? Well, and also, even if you copy William... Okay, so you're saying copy William, bring him in, convince the other uh, board members. Yeah. Because he seems to have a lot of sway. Yeah, because uh, that's because like the money is not the only problem. They also have to... They, they need the other shareholders, enough of them to get a majority and take it private. How about this? Okay. He's not in a mental institution. He's 
already running in the simulation and his body has been disposed of. That's what I thought. And but they're then, going to recreate William and bring him into the board. Who were those goons taking him away? Were they just like Rico dudes that she hired? I guess that's that would make perfect sense. But why could be why yeah. have the subterfuge of you're just going to an insulin institution? Like why lie about it? I guess to keep it to, to make him well, not question the nature of his reality. That's what I was wondering because yeah, like with Delos, it was important that he they didn't tell him he was a simulation. Because like uh, Liam, host, right? Dolores still wants to keep him in play for whatever reason. So you tell him he's going to the mental institution. You kill him, put him in a simulation. He doesn't question nature because that's that, that perfectly lines up with the dilute. Ooh, that sounds pretty good, which probably means it's wrong. And then he is at the beginning of the maze, right? Because then he's he's a uh, he's a host ah, essentially yeah. in the simulation who doesn't think he's a host. That doesn't think he's a host. Thinks and, he's real. And the way you figure to climb that ladder is through suffering. Right. Hmm. Huh. Okay. What does that All imply? Right, so now let's go back to the post-credit scene from last season. What does that imply? That because it, it it gives the appearance of being in the far future. Like his simulation might have run for like hundreds of th or thousands of years, and he still hasn't gotten the fact that he's a host. Is that more grist of the humans are incapable of change mill? I don't know. It's interesting because. Delos never did either, right? Right. Um, they had to eventually tell him. Yeah. yeah. And every time, you know, he he tried it, it failed. Yeah. The simulation broke down. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. But I do like the idea that yeah, because like if he's if that literally took place as as they described it, it doesn't seem like her buyout plan will work. But of course, she could also just lied to him. She could have told him a bunch of shit. But I, it seems like the whole season they've she's she doesn't have enough to get what she needs and she has to work and scheme to do that. So I'm taking most of her yeah. statements at face value that they're, they're a true, true reflection of the reality of the Delos financial situation. And I actually didn't go back and check this cause I just thought of it. Isn't he in the same clothes at the end of this episode as he is in the stinger from season two? Uh, no, he's dressed up as the man in black. He like stumbles down really? the elevator and it's like rubble and dust and, his fingers are still blown off. Uh, what do we make of that too? Are they? Huh. Why are they keep hiding his hands? Are, are they are, like? Are they doing like an expanse style regrowing a hand? Uh, well, they they do one thing at the beginning when he's having his mental break with Emily, right? Right. Um, where you see that he has kind of a robot hand, but I I want to chalk that up to just his mental state. Um, that's just sort of his perception right. of himself at that point. But then we see he's either bandaged up or he's got some kind of weird glove on. Yeah, there's something significant to that, right? I mean, the glove could just be, well, I don't want to meet with the board with blown off fingers. But why is he wearing a, a mental and a bloody bandage hands? Uh, good question. I don't know. Yeah, they're they're doing something tricky with that. Uh, between be. the the robo hand and the glove, and I, I wonder maybe that's another signifier like reality versus simulation too. Yeah, the glove. The glove. The glove theory. Okay. Um. So yeah, we we kind of talked uh, about that whole scene uh, already, where he's haunted by Dolores, who welcomes him to the end of the game, and it seems significant. It seems like this is the, the you know the the idea that the end the the game begins where you end and the game ends where you begin, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Kind of seems like feels this good, is just yeah. the launching pad for the next phase in William's journey. Do you does this feel like a final season to you? It's starting to feel like it to me. Like that statement, welcome to the end of the game, the fact that this is a eight-episode season mm -hmm. implying that there's a finite story that they want to tell. 
like I'm not saying that they couldn't come back with other ideas, um, but like, does this is it starting is to feel it? like this is a trilogy of seasons? Maybe. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe. I wonder, because I know they I haven't. I've, they, I, I don't think they made a public statement about it. And here's the thing, like maybe because you know the whole the coronavirus thing we're doing, or mm. uh, or something with production. But also, you get, you have. So I look at the numbers that this show is getting. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be dropping off. As yeah, less to growing, less like than a, a million was. people watching it, at least in whatever, however, HBO yeah, yeah. calculates Mr. that. Mister Nielsen mm-hmm. uh, with his calculations, but I, I look at that and I look at the the budget and I see are these things in line here? Um, and I, I also look at some statements from Joy and Nolan saying that they want to. They, they don't want to be happy with the state that they're in with the show. They want to up the scale every time. Every season, they want to go bigger and grander yeah. uh, with both their ideas and the depictions of those ideas. And yeah. I think at some point, you have to look at the ratings shrinking, the budget growing, and right. say, where do those things shake out? And maybe they shake out at the end of the season. Yeah, because where do you go once you go to the outside world? Like, I mean, there's a, I, I could see it like does an insta- feel. I could see an anthology series where it's just like Westworld stories where it's just like tales of the resistance yeah. or what like, you know, like take the story further in different directions. But yeah, like you'd have to go forward a thousand years before it's like, oh, what are the robots doing in the solar system? Or, you know, you can't get much bigger right, than right. the real world, at least in this near future. It, it does feel to me like we have a lot still left to do in four episodes, though, yeah. if we're talking about the end of a series that wants to say something big about life and intelligence and humanity and i just don't see us getting there in four episodes yeah but they so cover a lot of ground is we're gonna do another season but maybe not i remember there's a lot of conversation before the penultimate episode of season one is like jesus christ how can they possibly wrap this thing up it seems like it just keeps keeps expanding expanding and they had a few twists and a few mind blowns and then there's yeah. your season one. So, I, and again, I didn't say for nothing that next week's trailer looks like it's five, like four episodes worth of shit. <laughs> uh-huh. So Fair. they might just move real fast. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved the venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. 
Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Okay, it's time to talk feedback. You can send feedback into us at westworld at baldmove.com. And a lot of people took advantage of that. The first up is Rachel. She asked an important terminology question for us. Should we call the Dolores clones Delori or DeLoreans? <laughs> I like DeLoreans. DeLorean sounds good and it really, really rolls off the tongue, too. Yeah, I guess Delori. Like Disney Plus series. <laughs> the the Delore. <laughs> Mandalorians. Yeah. Uh, uh, she says also, I vote that we call the white goo host soup. Host? Okay. I mean, yeah, host soup. I don't, I don't, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, never I'm fine with that. Come up with a name for it. We'll see. We'll see if it sticks like Robo Hobo. Uh, Anne, do we know why Bernard thought Dolores took over Liam's body? Maybe that's what she did in the prior simulation, and it's true that Serac is just running it through till he can find a successful path, which means Maeve's death also possibly took place in a prior simulation, and she's back in a robot hell of reliving the same thing over and over again. Not sure what that means for humans like Caleb, though. Um, I think that. Well, first of all, do you have any ideas? Because I got some thoughts. It's because Bernard's an idiot. <laughs> it's because Bernard sees the most obvious blunt path toward the goal and assumes that Dolores is going to take it, and Dolores is smarter than that. Also, I think that... Uh, I don't know if we talked about this. I, I, well, yeah. I think Dolores' fundamental goal has changed slightly. I think that she came out into the real world thinking that every human is like the guests in Westworld, and what she's found out is that much like in Westworld, there's a very small amount of people that are like playing the game to its fullest capability, and there's teeming billions of people who are essentially NPCs in their plots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has a, a sympathy and empathy for those people, so her, cha- her goal is no longer to burn down the system, but to find some way to unify the, the, the masses under control, whether they be robot kind or whether they be human kind. Um, I feel like she should have known this already. Uh, I remember an interaction with her. How could she possibly down down by the river where she was painting it, uh-huh. uh, painting the countryside, and like a family and their young boy come up to her, and they're very nice to her, and it's a but s- it's a wonderful interaction, and she completely ignores that in the scope of what humanity is. But she sees William, who she thought was a pure, innocent, uh, justice driven person too she saw how cruel that he eventually became. So like maybe her concept is like, Oh yeah, yeah maybe they start or in certain circumstances, they're okay. But when you get down to who yeah. they really are, they're, they're vicious cutthroats. I could see that. Cause yeah, I guess she, she might, she probably had pleasant uh, experiences with some of the guests, but she also had very pleasant oh, experiences yeah. with William. And we saw that turned out. True. Um, Travis says, the scene last night where Ciroc talked about the apparent nuclear destruction of Paris lost a lot of impact for me because I immediately started questioning its reality. Uh, is he lying? Did it happen in a simulation? Is it an implanted memory? That's a problem with the show that has taught us to question its reality so frequently. It loses a lot of mm-hmm. emotional impact. I agree. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I obviously agree. Like, this is a very, very fine line that they tread, and they they 
transgress that line frequently. To the extent that a lot like Alan Seppenwall, my favorite TV critic, noped out on the show at the season because he's just like, I just, I don't, I, I don't care. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a style of television. It's a much more cerebral style. Yeah. A, a lot of emotionally resonant. It's very, al- like, like what you're supposed to really, I think, get sucked into is the allegory. Like, mm-hmm. these systems, how do you, they fit into your life? Where do you disagree? Where do you agree? Are we headed towards that? More than, like, oh, my God, Caleb and Dolores. I mean, they're, they're, they're archetypes. You know, like we've literally gotten 15 minutes of probably character development from from Caleb this entire season. Now, it's good stuff because Aaron Paul is really good and he's inherently relatable and he's kind of like very good at playing that, kind. you know, um, emotionally conflicted and tormented. And and he's got those soulful eyes and they do a lot of work just like, you know, Evan Rachel Wood, you know, in, in the first season. But we don't it's not about feeling for the characters so much as like the situation and relating to the situation. I really wish they could do both. Um, Agreed. I I think, and this is the caveat that I have to give with a show like Westworld. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there are some truly inspired concepts and in some inspired storytelling in a lot of places, but it's always tinged with the idea that you're not really going to connect with any of these characters on an emotional level. Yeah. Um, except with a rare occasion. Like, every once in a while when they get to, like, the heart of you know Dolores's reasons for doing what she's doing there's an emotional core there Mm -hmm. but it's not on display very often in this show and I think that is the the largest failing of this show and it's not enough to drag down the whole show um and I feel enough for me to say this isn't the best show ever created even though some of the concepts they're dealing with are right up there sure and I and and I I have sympathy for him because we just talked like we just talked um it could be that this framework that they're creating only works if the hosts have very little human interaction you know like if if Mm. if if there were more sympathetic human characters in season one then you couldn't have dolores be in this false dichotomy between you know humans are evil and all that like it it would reduce a lot of that kind of melodrama which which might have been good i don't know but i do think they're trying to say something and it's something very allegorical and sometimes you have to sacrifice realism and you know character growth for to make that allegorical point. Uh, and will it be worth it in the end? I, I don't know. It just depends on how well the show sticks to landing. If it is coming in for a landing, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's also the, the, the way the story is told to, um, mm-hmm. because there are like, there are definitely moments of character growth. We talked about this episode, how Dolores has changed over the course of a couple of seasons. Right. Oh yeah. Um, not even on a consciousness level, but on an emotional level. And mm-hmm. I, I think, those things tend to get lost in some of the trickier ways that they're telling the story um, and some of the bigger concepts. Like, I still think that people aren't really processing what a big moment it was for Teddy to kill himself. Like, I think that's where she went from a heel face turn is that moment. She realized, Oh, this path, you know, that's, that's, I think that's also, it's, it's not about her not trusting other robots. It's just her feeling that it's immoral to have any other robot make, you know, like, like, compel or force them to be in her army, even though she could easily yeah. do that. Uh, those are lessons that I don't think Maeve has quite understood exactly. Um, and certainly not uh, Bernard. Uh, John uh, wants to disagree with one of our takes in the instant talk podcast. It says one of the reasons I thought Hale was Dolores was because of how delicately and sweetly she was treating Hale in that scene. I mentioned an instant talk that like, I don't understand the concept of like comforting yourself in that way. 
And he says, the, I don't think that's... spooning scene. Yeah, right? he goes, I don't think it's odd at all to spoon yourself to comfort yourself. It's actually sweet. If you could take a new version of yourself, almost like a baby, and comfort them knowing them as well as you know yourself, wouldn't you? It's like extracting your inner child from your mind and giving them a hug. For some reason, this is the new Charlotte Hale body, not the one that escaped Westworld. So Dolores Prime in Dolores' body knows what this feels like waking up in the wrong body. Um, I will point out, John, the one thing I've realized in the last few years is I'm kind of fucked up and that like I am very ruthless with my inner child and my inner self. And when I don't live up to my own expectations, I am very vicious. I do not. And I think that it's healthier to spoon and comfort and hey buddy what's wrong don't you understand this it's okay we'll get through it and i'm working on that but i think i might have just shown my psychological ass and not getting that because when i read your email i was like yeah of course this is like weird and that it's happening externally but that's how all like psychologists say you should kind of parent yourself um when when you are failing or you're getting through disappointment or something like that but you know not the way I was raised. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, same here. Uh, John continues, I also don't think it's weird to be disoriented and and not feel quite like yourself when you wake up in a body that isn't yours and see yourself sitting across from you in a separate body. I assume that's a large part of the point of episode three, now that it's confirmed that she and everyone else is Dolores. I mean, yes, part of the dialogue in those scenes is the show being deliberately obfuscatory, but I also think it's true that this is just damn disorienting. Um, we have never seen a host in the wrong body before the brief scene of Holoris as Hale at the end of season two. We don't know what it's like to wake up, uh, and what adjustments are required or how long it takes you to feel like yourself. Sometimes it takes all day, a cup of coffee and strangling a pedophile to death to truly wake yourself up. I I also, that always helps me. Yeah. I also think that's probably true and, and right on. Um, I do wonder to throw another monkey wrench is like, you know, what if it's a sim? Um, there's extreme difference. Like, so John's saying that the reason that Haloris is relatively together this episode is that she's had time to adjust. I also wonder if, um, Dolores, I wonder if Dolores actually in those scenes where Haloris was, well, there's not enough time for that to happen. Either it's a simulation. Cause my thought is like, what if she actually started off with five allies realize that this wasn't working and is not moral to ask people to be in the situation and then just used her copied herself five times. Um, but I don't think the timeline matches up. It could be a simulated, like if she's doing that Lotus pose meditation, uh, you know, simulating things 20, you know, 20 times the speed of reality to figure out her best way to act. Yeah. I also think that neatly explains why she's navigating this world very, very cleanly and elegantly in a way that Bernard's not, you know, like I, I mentioned an instant take podcast that 90 days outside the West world, Dolores has five allies, half a trillion dollars and has the reins of one of the world's largest, richest companies at, and, and uh, in her grasp. And she's already got supply line to make a whole army of robots. And Bernard's made an off button for his buddy. that has got a busted arm. <laughs> <laughs> that just wants to kill himself. That's, that's where they're at. A... 90 days. Bernard learned that's... about animal husbandry while she was taking over the world. I think that's just white privilege. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. If you could pick a yeah. sleeve to be in, to take over the world, you know, uh, an, an attractive, attractive blonde, blonde female, woman yeah. that can wrap men around. is probably better than a, a Jeffrey Wright, or if we want to bring that element into it, yeah, um, he certainly could. All right. 
Justin writes in, this will probably tie for the amount of responses you got for Jawadi's uh, uh, Raj mix of Seven Nation Army, but I wanted to speak briefly on the choice to adapt Wicked Games by the weekend for the auction scene in this week's episode. Actually, no, I don't think we got a lot. I think it's because I'm kind of a weekend fan, and I didn't immediately recognize this. I never this heard not the song, like, but I went and I listened to it, yeah. and now I'm a weekend fan. I guess it was one of the singles, but it was back in 2012, and I wasn't familiar with it, so I appreciate you filling in the, the gaps here. He says Wicked Games was on the weekend's first self-release mixtape, House of Balloons, and launched in March of 2011. It was re- released as a single, but not until his three mixtapes were released together a year later as Trilogy. In many respects, it's typical weekend, drugged out, smoky, and longing, all those feelings from a young Abe Tesfe, I guess, on the brink of fame, pretty much at the same time we see him in Uncut Gems, which was set in 2012. Oh, okay, they're making an Uncut Gems reference, which I have not seen yet. Hmm. Uh, a small sample of the lines that fit with the Mother of Exiles go like this. Bring your love, baby. I could bring my shame. Bring the drugs, baby. I can bring my pain. And he goes on and on throughout the song, listening, listing what he will trade for sex with a woman. He'll trade fame, drink, and, of course, cash. He's even emptied out his cards, too. According to Abel, whether he's trading sex for money or sex for love or drugs or loneliness, it's all a transaction, which, yeah, like... As, as he goes on to point in is what Liam's friend Roderick says, all sex is commerce. Even if you don't know, you're just being billed indirectly. Mm-hmm. Um, Which so, parallels, you know, what Maeve said uh, in the Mariposa last two seasons yeah. ago. Yeah. 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 We said to Teddy, he's like, I don't know. I prefer to win my affections rather pay for it. She's like, you're always paying, darling. Just our prices are posted on the wall. Right. So... Another thing I'm not sure I exactly agree with Westworld, but um, <laughs> let's move on. Yeah, but I do appreciate that, Justin. Let's move on to Alexander. Uh, Dolores isn't Dolores, or perhaps one is, but rather it's Ford. This was his end game. Your oldest friend isn't Dolores. It's Ford. Is Ford William's oldest friend? I. It seems like they've always had an antagonistic relationship. Yeah. We've only really seen them interact as old men, haven't we? Like, what was young William's interaction with Ford? I mean, he's skeptical of the whole concept until he got woke and turned into the man in black, and then he's, like, fucking ambitious and wanting to take it all over and wanting to hijack Ford's... Pro- yeah, like, they were wanting to build that Sector 16 project, which Ford was opposed to. Yeah, I don't think they've so, ever yeah. been friends. No, uh-uh. Uh, I mean, it could be ironic because I think that they've referred to themselves like that before. But uh, I mean, if you're asking me, do I think Anthony Hopkins is somewhere in this season, like in some kind of ghost in the shell kind of way or or, uh, absolutely. Uh Or he could be the fifth marble. Like I, I want to see Anthony Hopkins back. I don't think he's done. Yeah. Um, Even if you know what it might, what it might be is I wonder if at some point, Bernard will recreate Ford the same way that Dolores recreated him because he realizes he can't do this alone. He needs Ford's help. That could be pretty interesting. Uh, uh, he needs to get go meditate in Lotus position. And, and, you know, it's like a weird full circle thing because, of course, Bernard is Arnold recreated by Ford. So, like, right, it's, it's right. a Ford of Boris, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's just Ford eating his own tail right. again and again. Uh, Ford is a flat circle. 
Nick has some some random thoughts for us. Uh, William, he thinks, is definitely a host. People theorized during season two that the person's hand in the tub with blood was a man's hand. And now this makes more sense. Do you remember that? I don't remember that theory. I, I, but... I remember p- people asserting that, like, the hand coming out of the thing and like like was a, a man's hand. Hmm. Uh, and he thinks that he may have found his wife dead and then killed himself in the tub, which is why we see him emerge from the water in season three, episode four, and then not wanting to go into the bathroom to shave. What about I the mean... fingers? <sighs> what about the fingers? Doesn't he have that hand, like, totally blown off? Well, but that's a yeah. There is something interesting because did you notice that in the um, white goo tub there is a white goo handprint on the side that's almost exactly the position that it would be if if he himself arose like like anyone could get out of a bathtub, mm-hmm. and it matches kind of like his hand gripping the edge of the tub in this se- sequence. No. Yeah, if you go back and watch where um, uh, Sirac brings Maeve and tours like the Bernard Laboratory. In that android tub that they construct them in, there's like a white handprint as if a robot got himself out of it at one point. Um, which I guess would make sense. Somebody would like it. Like if Dolores made herself a new body and had some process to put it in, she would have to get herself out of the tub. I don't know if I, Pro- I don't know probably if that fucking yeah. would work. But they put it there and I noticed it. Um, also, I don't think you have to come up with a reason for him to want to, to avoid that bathroom. Like, yeah. Your wife committing suicide in the bathroom is reason enough to not ever want to set foot in that 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 room again. Yeah. I'd fucking sell the house. Right. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's just me. Uh, did they take his blood in order to print the host version of Del- for Dolores to inhabit? Uh, why else would you take someone's blood? So I've okay. Um we know the next episode is called Genre. I have also mm-hmm. seen it. I, I think Joanna Robinson uh theorized that this could be an injection, not a taking of a sample ah. and that his hallucinations toward the end of him being in this mental facility might actually be part of this genre drug ah. or, or something to make him docile to put this uh implant in him so that then they can control him i i don't know exactly but i think there's more possibilities than just what oh they took his blood what if they've already replaced him and he's freaking out the way every human is when they imprint and implant him in a host and what she did was inject uh, William's biomarker blood so that when he's taken to the facility to be cared for, he scans as William and no one asks any questions. Uh, does she have trying to think like, that mechanical hands that are just full of blood? Like full she of must, because that's exactly what happened. That needle just popped out of her fucking fingertip. Yeah. Really nice if you're Maybe. like in the cutting, because you just got like a you know a needle right there that you're oh, ready yeah. to... I guess she didn't need any tools. Yeah. No, she didn't. She didn't. She just needed to question the nature of her own reality. Uh, he has some thoughts on Emily. He wonders, is he imagining her, or does he have those AR contacts in to drive him into madness? This is the other wrinkle. Like, we've talked about simulations. We've talked about time trickery, but AR is definitely in play. And we know there's there's contacts. Does William yep. wear contacts? I don't um, know. That's, that, I thought, was pretty tasty. Mm-hmm. It's a good idea. Um, the post credit scenes that closed out season two, could the old rundown setting have been previously hidden with uh, AR or the opposite made to look old with AR? You know, I, I would God, love... That's, that's another one because like, she puts those goggles on that dude's head in the first episode and it completely remaps his surroundings. I would love to know how auditory responses are controlled by a contact lens. Hmm. Like, how would he hear Emily talking to him? Hmm. I don't know. 
they could do like the sixth the sixth day thing from Arnold Schwarzenegger, where the whole plot of that is you can use the optic nerve as like a high speed interface with the brain to like hmm. quickly read information from it. So like you could you know not just pass audio or uh, visual information, but audio through there too. Maybe. I mean that's like pseudoscience as far know. as I can tell. I don't but... know. I don't know enough about uh, biochemistry of the human body, so. No, but that's super interesting, too. Also, I think the post credit scene being followed up uh, with the S3 opening uh, featuring AR could be telling. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Uh, random thoughts. Who should we be cheering for? I, I'm going to say I think I'm cheering for Dolores because I'm really all in on my theory that she's the good guy and Bernard's the spoiler and Maeve. So because that's the other thing about Maeve is Maeve was Ford's project, mm-hmm. right? Like, Bernard was, in a weird way, Dolores' child. Dolores was Bernard's project. But Bernard was also Ford's project, because he was the messenger to Maeve that that delivered But but you remember the, like, you know, Ford coming and kissing her on the forehead and Uh and healing her wounds, and, like, he wants her out in the real world. Like, I think... Maybe Maeve is the good, like, you know, that's maybe, maybe Maeve is the good guy. I, I think if I had to pick She's right co- now, it's Maeve. Uh, hmm. She she feels like an anti-hero to me, but, well, I, you know, anti-heroes I, can be. Yeah, I guess it's because we don't know much about her feelings on humanity as a whole. Um, right. And so I can't yet judge whether she's going to murder us all uh, if she but ever gets her way that... or, or help us become, you know, these two equal but separate worlds. But we do know how she views humanity, or at least what they're capable of, because Lee Sizemore's experience, she said, taught yeah. her that people can be altruistic for no gain to themselves. That's true. So that would prime her to be the hero. Yeah. And the fact that she's got Ford's blessing. Ah, it's interesting. Uh, also, there's still a real chance that everything's a simulation to the point where everything's preceding season one is. I Okay. That's a possibility. But I really can't imagine an ending where everything's a simulation, man, mind blown as one that I walk away with and not just tear my hair out that. Yeah, I mean, you can do it. I'm sure you could do that in in a way that maybe is thought provoking or maybe just bleak or something. But like, holy shit, the degree of difficulty of pulling off everything you've invested in in the last three years is fake. Mm hmm. It's Mr. Robot times two. It's 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 right up there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Is Ford actually involved? I wish that we could rewatch that. I could rewatch season one and season two after every new season three episode, but alas, it's not possible. I bet there's more clues upon rewatch, especially in the scene with Ford and William at the bar. Uh, Well, I mean, that'd be a good one to rewatch. You could. uh, I bet there's a supercut of all Ford sequences on YouTube that you could review. But uh, nah, I I, I uh, listen to podcasts, read articles, and watch Reddit or and and, and read Reddit for that kind of stuff, <laughs> because in the two hundred thousand people that are playing this game, that's I think that's roughly probably the worldwide audience of Westworld people that are that fanatic about it, uh, which is pretty amazing. That's like a fifth of the audience. Uh, that hive mind is capable of noticing almost every detail. Yeah. Um, so. I, I feel you, but yeah, I'm, I'm cheering for Dolores and I'm looking forward to Ford. I hope Anthony Hopkins comes back. Be very exciting. Uh, thanks for that, Nick. That's all the feedback that we are going to consider this week. If you'd like to send the feedback to, for consideration, please do so at Westworld at baldmove.com. Of course, we'll be back this weekend to uh, watch Westworld. And after the episode's done airing, we will be doing our instant talk as we do. 
on baldmove.com. If you'd like to get on that live, of course, be a club member at club.baldmove.com. And you can even join us in the after show, the fabulous instant talk podcast, where we can interact with you through the YouTube chat system. Uh, anyway, we will be back this weekend. We'll have a full podcast out next Tuesday. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.